Hey guys, welcome to the Mindful Vitality Podcast, serving up mindful nutrition advice for busy lives. I'm your host, Holly Braddock, registered nutritionist, and I'm here to help you understand the science behind the gut-brain connection and how to heal so you can crush your career goals. Join me as we ditch the diet, eat mindfully, and heal our guts for optimal physical and mental health. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. Today I'm interviewing Alita. She is a local doula and the founder of Rebirth Movement. As a doula, she provides support, education, and empowerment to prenatal and postnatal women. She empowers women to reclaim their power and birth their way. Alita is not your average doula. She's a multifaceted birth worker who also has a social work degree. So her education and experience in social work has made her extremely passionate about educating women on their rights during the birthing process, as well as on postpartum concerns. That first latch, postpartum depression and conscious parenting are some of the main topics she focuses on. So without further delay, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Mindful Vitality Podcast. This is episode 24, and today I'm interviewing Alita from the Rebirth Movement. Hello. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks. So let's dive in. Why don't you mm-hmm. tell us a bit about your practice and how you became interested in being a doula and what a doula is for those of people who don't know. All right. Yeah. I'll start with what a doula is because that will probably give the rest of the story some context. Um... So basically, a doula is a form of birth worker that works with clients um, from a mental, emotional, spiritual support aspect. So people always ask, like, what's the difference between a midwife and an OB and a doula? I would say the primary difference is that doulas are non-medical, so we don't provide um, medical support or intervention or anything like that we are focused and when I say our every doula kind of has a different approach so Mm -hmm. everything that I'm speaking to in this podcast is more so my approach to doula work and like with within any spectrum of any career people have their own approaches but for the most part with a broad stroke doulas are there to support their clients prenatally and then during the actual birth and then postpartum so um a little bit different than a medical support that you would have limited interaction with them. You would spend, uh, depending if you're with an OB or, or where you're giving birth, you might only spend kind of like those final moments of birth with your mm-hmm. practitioner, with a doula. Um, they're with you for prenatal appointments, their own prenatal appointments. Sometimes they'll accompany you to your own prenatal appointments with your um, healthcare professionals. And then they provide continuous support throughout your entire labor. Awesome. And then what was the second part of that? Um, how oh, I got into the yeah. practice. Yeah. So I, at the, I, my first career was in corporate communication. So I did that for a couple of years and, uh, through an associate at work, I ended up supporting, um, a good friend of mine and colleague through a complicated birth. Okay. Um, at the time she was, she was needing some birth support and asked me to be that person. Yeah. And I would, had no real um, understanding or experience with birth or pregnancy. I think I was like maybe 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I kind of said, of course, yeah, absolutely. So I attended her birth with her. And like I said, it was, it was a complicated, quite difficult birth. And it was so eye-opening for me because mm-hmm. I felt like I had just like this blank slate to look at pregnancy or look at birth and postpartum with no, you know, personal experience or yeah. preconceived notions or like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be or blah, blah, blah. Um, so I kind of felt like if anything, a support for her on a friend level, but then just a fly on the wall to kind of see how hospital systems work, how nurses interact with clients, how, Mm. um, OBs communicate with, with someone, especially during a complicated birth or, um, what people might consider like a traumatic birth experience. And, uh, I kind of walked away from that experience completely, I don't know what the right word is, maybe overwhelmed, but just kind of, I felt like my eyes had been totally open. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had very natural births, had uncomplicated births and always talked about her birth stories. Uh, she was a nurse as well. So she, um, you know, didn't get any ultrasounds, was very natural. Wow. Uh, so that was kind of only my understanding of birth, her just like super empowered birth stories. And then when I kind of saw, for lack of better words, like the flip, of that coin mm-hmm. and I saw uh, what can happen and how people can be treated and things like that. It just kind of stuck with me. So I went about my job in communications for a little bit longer and I just wasn't liking it. I'm, I'm one of those people that can't go to work and do their jobs and not like it and come home and live a fulfilled life. Yeah. Like, I'm one of those people where, and I, it took me a while to realize that. I mean, at this time too, like I said, I was 20, 21 years old. So I was still trying to figure all of that out. Uh, but I just really knew that communications wasn't for me, but I didn't know what that looked like. And that birth experience kept on coming back to me, kept on coming back to me. So I moved to Toronto just to get away from my job and wanted to start Mm -hmm. fresh and thought that I wanted to become a midwife. So I started doing all of the research into that and started connecting with people in midwifery and, uh, connecting with the, the college and all those different things. And I realized I didn't want to be part of kind of the institution of birth in the sense of midwifery and OB and the policy and procedure that they have to exist within. Mm -hmm. I personally feel like birth is a very uh, natural and intuitive and sacred thing. And I want to create a space for people to hone into that power. So I decided to do my doula training. And at the time, actually... I didn't know that I didn't want to be a midwife at that time, kind of backing up. I thought, yeah. okay, well, I really want to be a midwife, but I don't even know how I really respond to birth in that space, right? Like mm-hmm. I had, I had uh, accompanied a friend, but I wasn't, I didn't really take on that doula role. And some components I did, but I didn't have a lot of um, responsibility isn't the right word, but I didn't have a role in that birth. It was more so just there, uh, in a way, the only way that I knew how at that point. So I did my doula training thinking, okay, well, let's just see how I settle into that whole birth world. And I did my doula training and totally fell in love with it. And then it was through that doula training and learning more about midwifery and things like that, that I decided that I wanted to stick on kind of like the holistic, um, non-institutionalized version of birth and have just been doing that kind of ever since. Nice. So that was yeah. kind of like a, a sign for you when your friend asked you to yeah. support her that oh my gosh, yeah. It's like meant I, to be. <laughs> it's, I can even like picture it to this day kind of being like, 
you, you want me to go? You know, yeah. like I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, okay, I guess like it was an, it was such an honor. Um, but yeah. And then, so in the last, I guess, eight months after doing that doula work and taking on some clients, I decided to go back to school to become a social worker. Okay. So the last, like I said, eight months I've been, I've got accepted into a accelerated post-degree program. Mm-hmm. So it's a one year degree program. So I've been doing that. I finished my schooling for that two weeks ago. So wow, busy I, lady. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so I have that and I'm just finishing the placement component of my schooling now. So after attending births and being part of that, I really felt like I wanted more education and experience and kind of tools in my toolbox, tools in my toolbox for lack yeah. of better words, to be able to support my clients. Um, and, you know, like with the doula, you kind of have to stick within your scope of the doula work of just mm-hmm. um, supporting that client but I wanted to do more and I thought the best way to do that would be to have like that counseling mental health component because I Mm -hmm. saw I think when I supported my friend and then as a doula I saw all these gaps within our system within the the birthing realm and I thought okay I can't I don't have the education first of all because education is extremely important to me like there's lived experience and all those things but when you're attending a birth, when you're supporting someone in that period of their life, like it's an incredibly vulnerable period of life. Yeah. I want to know that I have the skills and I have the education to actually show up for these clients Mm -hmm. the way that they deserve. And I felt like as I was starting my doula that the training that I got was great, but I, I thought that there was ways that I could do even more. And that's where the social work came in. Nice. Yeah, I guess a lot of it too is like all goes hand in hand, like especially when it comes to like hormone changes and like Absolutely. postpartum depression and things like that. Yeah. It all goes together. Well, and you know, when you think about pregnancy, it's one of the biggest identity transformations you have in your life. Like mm. 50% of pregnancies aren't planned. That doesn't mean that um, that baby isn't wanted or different things like yeah. that. But you even think about whether you're in a committed relationship or not. Sometimes you're in a committed relationship and you get pregnant and you kind of thought, okay, well maybe like I've had clients say that like, you know, we were thinking about having one in the next year, but then it just yeah. kind of happened. So yeah. here it is and like, that's amazing and that's beautiful. But there's also that level of like, oh crap. Okay. Now, now, now what? what? Yeah. Like Panicking a bit. Yeah. Or, or even, um, just all of the components that like, I always tell my clients, no matter how ready you think you're going to be like, don't, don't let yourself get into this mindset of that you have to be perfect or that you're supposed to know everything or you're supposed to whatever. There's, there's so many periods of transition that you go through within pregnancy and then birth and then postpartum. And I think that it's really unfair to expect someone to be able to go through all of those transitions independently. Mm -hmm. Like, especially when it's your first time. Yeah. Or or even if it's your third and your first two, went a certain way and then your third veered off in right. a totally different direction. Like yeah. no birth is the same and, and no pregnancy is the same either. So that whole idea of the doula is having someone there who is there for you. Like they're they're they don't have their own agenda or they shouldn't. And they're there a hundred percent to support you in your journey and your decisions mm-hmm. and so and and be that kind of 
support that you need that's not going to shame you or blame you or make decisions for you or push you in a certain direction or exist within an institution that has policies that they have to follow right even if their heart tells them otherwise yeah they have to yeah absolutely follow the policy Yeah. yeah like I always say there's no ego in doula work like you can't bring your own preconceived notions you can't bring your own biases you can't bring your own um like set some standard for birth into it because I know people will say well I want an epidural can I still have a doula or I I want a planned cesarean can I still have a doula like absolutely Mm -hmm. you can have a doula for what whatever type of birth you choose and that's the whole thing about the doula work is that person is there to help I don't like the word empower you because someone can't empower someone else right somewhat you the only way you can become empowered is by empowering yourself so the way I word it is a doula will hopefully help create a safe place for you Mm -hmm. to be able to empower yourself to make those decisions yeah that's amazing so how exactly does it work do you want to walk us through like when you usually start working with a client Mm, and like um so that really varies I have some clients that uh, even before they're pregnant, they're like, yeah. can you be my doula? And like, uh, some clients will want support through the fertility process if, if yeah. a couple is struggling or if it's an individual who mm-hmm. is wanting to conceive, whether it's independently or they have a partner or whatever uh, their situation looks like, they might hire a doula to help them get through that um, period of fertility mm-hmm. or pregnancy. Um the majority of clients, I would say, typically are around, I mean, it varies hugely, but I would say around kind of like that two-month mark or that one-month mark because realistically, like, some people don't know they're pregnant right away, right? Right, like, yeah. Um, so it's usually about the time that they find out they're pregnant or start kind of planning for, okay, what does my support team look like? Other times it can be later. Like, I had one client who didn't... Um, I didn't join their team until I think they were like seven months pregnant. Okay. Um, and I would say like, people always ask like, when's the best time? Personally, I think the sooner the better because, and again, the majority of the way, um, doulas work is that you pay like a packaged fee. Right. So that's how I work at least. Um, so you can pay this package price and then utilize my services for that entire time. Right. So the more support and the more relationship that you can build with your doula, I think the more beneficial that is for yourself to have that support system. And then whether you have a partner or family members or things like that, like doulas aren't just for the birth person okay. as well. They um, support partners or um, if you consider that person a significant other or even whatever, if you have other people in your life that are going to be primary caregivers to your children Mm -hmm. or child help with that as well so how do you go about like do you do support through like um, emails and phone calls and things like that or is there more like in-person meetings and like how often would you meet with them and great question so again I think every doula is a little bit different for me personally I I keep in touch with my clients once a week like Mm -hmm. I once my client signs a contract I let them know that I like to be present with them because sometimes, you know, I've, and I've changed my package to include this because I've had clients in the past that, you know, we meet depending on the package about twice before, uh, 
the actual labor, but sometimes I'll have clients who would say, oh yeah, last month was really, really tough and I was really struggling with this, but I didn't want to bother you. Or, you know, oh, okay. that, that whole mindset of, of, well, I don't want to interfere. I don't want to bother her. Or people tend to diminish their own problems and not, mm-hmm. um, seek support when that's the root, like, that's, that's why I'm here. Like, yeah, I, that's why they I don't care you. if you're calling me at whatever time. Like I create some boundaries around when, mm-hmm. when it's, um, when I prefer people reaching out, but again, if something's going on, that's why I'm here. So the way my service works is I do weekly, just text check-ins unless I tell my clients, unless they would prefer to not have such consistent um, contact. Some people say, I don't want you bugging me every week. Yeah, for sure. Just checking in, but others really enjoy that. Or even if I say, Hey, just want to check in, how's your week going? Um, And they'll say, great. And then that'll be it. Or there's something that comes up that they want to talk about. So for me, I text the majority because that's how my clients prefer. Yeah. If a client prefers email, I'll email them. Uh, and then phone calls kind of regularly or depending on when they want to be in touch. Like because of my social work background and my experience with perinatal mood disorders, I've been noticing um, that clients have been interested in my service who struggle with anxiety or things like that or have mm-hmm. history of um, different mental health experiences so sometimes those clients will be in touch a little bit more because they want that more like a little bit more consistent support or sometimes I'll have some parents or families or birth persons who will be uh, just kind of say you know what I just want these two meetings and then I just kind of want to be independent and if anything else comes up I'll reach out to you Mm -hmm. so I very much part of that whole intake process in creating the foundation for the service is primarily a lot of that is based on what do you want this experience to look like and yeah. how can I facilitate that? Cause like one of my biggest thing is like, there's not just a one size fits all package that I'm going to provide yeah, to my exactly. clients. And I think personally, that's one of the issues that I see within our birth world is that we expect, okay, here's this, this is how everything works. And I'm just going to fit you into this mold or this system yeah. or this box of like, here are my services. And that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Everyone's mm-hmm. very unique and has mm-hmm. different needs and, experiences yeah yeah um so yeah you kind of touched on the mental health aspect a bit but did you want to talk a little bit about uh maybe like I don't know as much about prenatal but like Mm -hmm. postpartum depression and other mental health challenges that come up and yeah 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 this is uh an area that I'm I'm really fascinated with and I'm still continuing to learn a lot I just recently did um some special training in uh just north of Toronto on perinatal mood disorder. So mm-hmm. there's uh, an agency, I don't know if you'd call them an agency, probably an organization. It's called Postpartum Support International, PSI. It's a great resource for anyone listening that wants to learn more about it. I did training through them. It was their first training in, I think, Ontario, maybe even, I think it was Canada actually, because oh, there was wow. people in our training from like BC, some people had oh, traveled wow. from the States. Yeah. Um, but it was on perinatal mood disorders. So Anyone listening, perinatal mood disorders is basically mood disorders. I I don't like the word disorder, but um, that occur either prenatally or postpartum. So perinatal is that kind of all-encompassing period. Mm -hmm. So um, that has been an area that I've been really interested in. And then from a social worker perspective, when you do social work, that there's that whole research component, right? Of, yeah. of understanding research, how to read statistics, how to read studies and all of that kind of stuff. And I did my final research paper on cognitive behavioral therapy for postpartum depression. Okay. And it was fascinating. Um, but what I was learning throughout that process is there's not a lot of 
they call it gold standard, like quote unquote, mm-hmm. of which you know a lot about because with your psych background. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like really reputable, evidence based information on perinatal mood disorders. They just kind of don't really exist. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at it from a historical perspective, postpartum. Um, blues or baby blues or whatever you call that that wasn't really acknowledged or validated for a very long time and you know you hear people being told a variety of different things and it's kind of just I think a lot of women's health issues through the years uh, got pushed off by doctors or brushed off saying oh you'll it's just your hormones you'll be fine or something like or just you know it's I don't want to get into that because that's a whole other Yeah, but but so um, for me, it's just kind of learning more about it, but also trying to find resources and things that are actually reputable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say they'll have statistics about one in 10, they use the word women or moms have postpartum depression or this or that I'm like where are you even getting that study from though like like even the information and in the research that I did a lot of those studies didn't include um moms quote-unquote I'm using air quote because that's kind of a generic um whatever binary term but people who have given birth indigenous peoples aren't included in those studies a lot of them um people who are incarcerated or in different systems are included in those studies so I think that I think those numbers are really inaccurate personally Mm -hmm. So for me, I just became completely uh, absorbed in the world of like, this is one of the, like one of the leading, um, what's the best word to use? Uh, Complication. They use the word complications, but one of the leading complications in birth is uh, postpartum. Like they use the word mood disorders or things like that. And it's like, okay, well that's, that's crazy. Like that's, that's, I shouldn't use the word crazy. That is substantial and we don't have any evidence or a lot of information to back that. And they get into the whole, sorry, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but they get into the whole thing of like, well, it's not ethical to do studies or to research it or whatever. So how else are we going to find help for these people? (laughs) Like, so my big, my biggest thing getting into the social work and I did all of my schooling really specific to uh, perinatal mood disorders. Like all of the studies, all the research that I did was structured completely around that, which I Mm -hmm. really like. Like that was one component that my school would be flexible with allowing me to do that. Like all of my research papers and everything were structured around that. Um, So for me, it's just been like the last couple of years really trying to understand the hormones and the perinatal mood again I'm going to use this term and I don't really like it but that's kind of the general term perinatal mood disorders that occur Mm -hmm. and why they occur and looking at the research and saying okay I can understand that but actually really interacting with these clients to understand it on a personal professional level to be able to support my clients so um yeah it's been incredibly interesting and I'm excited to have the opportunity I think to to work with these people and to be welcomed into their space to learn more about what they're going through and support mm. them. Yeah, because I, from what I mean, I don't know a ton about it myself, but from what I've read, it seems like obviously there's major hormonal shifts that happen, mm-hmm. especially um, postpartum. Yeah, that contributes to things like postpartum depression. But right. I would assume that it's also um, people that don't know, like the term SES, it's like social economic status. And like, um, so if it's like a financial stressor or if you don't have the support of family or friends or whoever, like that would oh, make yeah. you much more 
prone to yeah. having some kind of mood disorder, right? Because you don't have the support and resources that you need Absolutely. during that time. So like that environmental comp- um, uh, component that comes into mm-hmm. it, like how is the environment that you're transitioning into parenthood impacting impacting your mental health? And like the biggest thing for me that I've been doing a lot of research into is sleep deprivation Yes. in yeah. concurrence with mental health. Because if you look at the side effects of sleep deprivation and you look at kind of how they quote unquote like label postpartum depression or, or different things like that, I think that, and this isn't, this is my own personal opinion and there is starting to come out research that supports it, that sleep deprivation and things like that are a huge component yeah. to mental health and you know, if you're a parent listening, you say, well, yeah, that's the, of course, like, of course, we yeah. know that. but then it's like, okay, well, how are our systems, how are our social expectations and all of that impacting the, the ability for these parents to get sleep? Like what resources need to be put into mm-hmm. place? Like whether that's postpartum doulas or, or other doulas or family support or things like that to, to help facilitate a space for an easier transition to home. Like they, for, the hospitals, if, if you experience postpartum psychosis, which is, we can maybe talk about that if we have time, but um, my understanding and my experience with clients is the first thing when you have postpartum psychosis, they tell you to sleep. They bring you into the hospital and you sleep. And that is the first stage of recovery. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, um, I'm sure you you know about this, like when you sleep, you get into your REM sleep and yep. that's rest and recovery. So when you're sleeping, your brain is actually recovering and healing itself. So if you're constantly experiencing sleep deprivation the effect that that has on your mental Mm -hmm. health alone let alone like you said hormones the hormone shifts that happen um your body transitioning all of those things like your uterus is still contracting your uterus like just after you give birth it doesn't just okay i'm just automatically gonna go back into the into the shape that (laughs) it started it grew it multiplied by so much and all of those kinds of things and birth trauma i think is a huge huge component of perinatal mood disorders and postpartum depression and that isn't always validated because it's in a system right Right. so if if you experience trauma during your birth or if you experience uh lack of security or safety or if you felt like your power was taken away from you or um if your birth didn't go as you had kind of hoped or planned and then you're trying to adjust to processing your whole birth experience while having a newborn while whatever else is going on like Mm -hmm. that's that's a substantial amount of mental weight to carry and to process yeah yeah I have to ask because I mean I've read about this too and I considered it myself for when I have a child is Mm -hmm. um I've heard that some people get the placenta like they consume it in some form so whether from what I heard and what I was most interested in is um you get it like you can send it somewhere and they dry it and make it into a powder and then encapsulate it so you can take it it's almost like you're weaning off the hormones so Mm -hmm. it's not as drastic of a a shift yeah and it helps like reduce your risk of postpartum yeah so there's like that's um in some cultures that's been done throughout their whole history and, Mm -hmm. and quite common it I think in like North America it's it's not as common but it's slowly kind of gaining a presence back again um and I don't know like I've done a bunch of different research and we we actually in our training with PSI we talked about that as well with hormones and everything like that I don't know enough about it to speak on it I think some clients that I've had have really 
um, said that it has been great for them and that it's something that they think really helped their transition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I guess it would be a personal, a yeah. personal choice, but it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. People... I'm definitely, because of like my existing depression, anxiety, I mm-hmm. would assume that I'm probably going to be higher risk for that. So I want to prepare yeah. in, in that sense and be like, okay, this is my plan if I do Absolutely. need to do that. And I don't know, it just makes sense that you're kind of like weaning yourself mm. off it like anything else. Yeah. And it's true, like you said, about having a plan. They they do say that if you have experienced anxiety or depression in the past, your chances of getting um, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or postpartum OCD are higher. Yeah. Um, and so that's a lot of the work that I do with my clients is preventative work. Like mm-hmm. once, once you're in labor, once you're in that postpartum period, it's... Um, there's not that time to be like, okay, let's implement a new strategy or let's, let's build some sort of plan, right? It's all, it's all preventative. It's all proactive. So working with my clients to help them build some sort of strategy, if they do struggle with anxiety Mm -hmm. or have experienced depression or uh, intrusive thoughts or things like that, like, first of all, it's normalizing it. So they don't feel that they're alone in this or that there's because often with mental health, especially postpartum depression there's guilt shame and fear that is attached Mm -hmm. to it right um I think perinatal mental health is something that still has a lot of stigma around it you know the meat uh meat uh or what's the movement um they'll do like the big day yeah the hashtag what, what is it uh yeah, I don't remember. Anyway. I just remember thinking me too, but that's the yeah, no, that's, sexual abuse. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, Bell, let's talk. Oh yes, Bell, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So, and I think those are great movements, and they're moving in a direction to bring awareness. But my experiences with that is that Bell, let's talk is around anxiety and depression. That's two of there's a huge so there's a huge array of um, different mental health struggles that people can be struggling with. So you know, the, the more normalized and accepted ones. But then I think, and what I've experienced with my clients is anything related to postpartum or perinatal is still not widely um, accepted, even as a mm-hmm. bad word, but it's not like, it's not acknowledged. It's not validated. Yeah. So a lot of times it's diminished. Like, Oh, I'm really struggling with my mental health after postpartum. And then people will be like, well, you have a healthy baby. You should be fine. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's not respected it. in the same way that it should. And so people, um, are left feeling shame and guilt and all those things. Or, you know, I have a new baby and I'm struggling with intrusive thoughts. I don't want to tell anyone because I don't want some my baby to be taken away or I don't want uh, children's aid to be called on me or I don't want people to think that I'm an unfit parent yeah, or exactly. that I'm going to harm my baby or things like that. So I think that education component of normalizing that and creating a space for my clients to feel like they can feel safe coming to me and saying, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with these intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. or you know, something happened or I'm not feeling myself or all those kinds of things because people really don't have to struggle alone, but way more people struggle alone than I think even me realize. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we are, I mean, we're definitely making progress as you said, but hopefully we'll get further in being more like spreading the knowledge and awareness of Absolutely. Perinatal mood disorders. Yeah, okay. perinatal got it right. Mood yeah. So I want to just um, ask you too, because I mean, I'm a nutritionist, so of course I had to mm-hmm. ask. Um, and yeah, what are your thoughts on like, or what have you experienced with mothers in terms of like 
eating well, eating well during mm-hmm. pregnancy and also um, in regards to breastfeeding? Because I know you had posted at one point a lactation cookie oh, yeah. recipe. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So I'm a huge nutrition junkie is a bad term. But <laughs> however you want to label that. Yeah. Like, um, I'm very into nutrition and someone myself who struggled with my mental health, that kind of what brought me into the social work realm as well. Well, I was trying to decide, okay, what area do I go into? Mm-hmm. The mental health aspect of pregnancy and, and just that kind of transition and, and identity transition that happens when you welcome a child into this this wild earth we live in. This <laughs> yeah. um, so nutrition is a huge component to me. There's a, so much research about gut-brain connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, serotonin is what our, at this point in society, we say that serotonin in deficiencies in serotonin or impacts in serotonin is often the influencer in experiencing mental health struggles. So mm-hmm. they say that 90, there's more and more research coming out that 90% of our serotonin is actually created in our stomach. Yeah. So that was like a huge influence for me to really start taking my health seriously. So um, with my clients as well, again, like I support clients, whatever path they're taking, if they are eating whatever they feel like it and not overly concerned about their diet when it comes to pregnancy, absolutely I'll support you. There's no judgment. There's no stigma. If a client is interested in kind of talking about nutrition or wanting suggestions on nutrition, um, I point them in the direction of nutritionists or mm-hmm. things like that. But also as a childbirth educator, I do have like a little bit of information on that as well. But, um, Oh yeah. Maybe talk about the, um, the lactation oh, yeah. recipe. So what was in that that's supposed to help with, um, yeah. So, so kind of the, uh, the disclaimer in that is depending on your own beliefs and what you read in your own, some, some people have experienced eating certain things or whatever increases their milk supply. And mm-hmm. then that's great from the research that I've done and experience working with lactation consultants and doing that kind of training, milk production is created by milk extraction. Okay. So the only way you're going to build up your milk production is by extracting milk. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, lactation cookies increase your milk supply, they might, and for some reasons, but yeah. they're not like the be-all, end-all. But so the disclaimer in that was like, just by eating these cookies, you're not going to all of a sudden be like, oh yeah. my goodness, my milk <laughs> is just flooding in. Yeah. Um, but that the, gives you like the nutrients you yeah, need to help produce absolutely. that Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the cookies, um, I have a dairy-free, sugar-free, uh, gluten-free diet. Okay. So they kind of incorporate that. So sugar-free because um, if you're breastfeeding or if you're, you know, in that postpartum period, anything that's kind of shooting your blood, blood sugar up and down, up and down is first, it's just hard on we know on our bodies, but as well on your mood, if you're struggling with your mood and you're having blood sugar crashes because you're consuming a lot of sugar or, um, plus it's feeding the wrong bacteria, which in turn will affect your mood as well. Yeah. So, 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 um, so they're sugar free, dairy free, gluten free. Um, they're, they have really healthy oils in them. They have avocado oil, or you can do, I think with those ones I did an olive oil. So healthy fats are great for you. Uh, especially when you're, when you're breastfeeding or chest feeding, having those healthy fats in your system, they have a bunch of different types of nuts, which are great for you. Um, they're also, those are also vegan. So some of my clients choose to be vegan and 
they always say, oh, people, you know, that whole protein thing about are you getting your protein yep. this or that. Yeah, so, that's important. So basically what they are, without going into all of the ingredients, is they're just a very healthy, clean, nutrient-dense food that is small and you can just eat as you're going. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I eat them in the morning or I eat them all the time. They're not specific to someone uh, breast or chest feeding. But it's more so that idea of there's ways that you can really easily, I think they took me like seven minutes to make. They're super quick and oh, nice. easy. Uh, they don't have a lot of really expensive ingredients, so they're um, accessible to anyone, kind of yeah. whatever socioeconomic status that they're in. Um, and they're just small and attainable. So one thing that I tell, try to encourage my clients or if they're wondering about different strategies is having what I call like feeding stations around their house. Okay. So uh, whether you're breastfeeding, chest feeding, bottle feeding, having just an area, you know, if you, if you know, if you start to notice like, oh, I always feed in the living room at that certain spot or their change table or in the room, like the baby's room or whatever that is setting up little snack stations yeah. throughout the house so that, you know, you, you're sitting down and you think, okay, now I'm going to be here for the next however long sometimes it's 10 minutes sometimes it's half an hour feeding yeah and oh I'm thirsty oh I'm hungry but my food's over there and I'm already sitting in my pillow and oh you know that that whole thing so setting up little stations throughout the house with those little um I guess you can call them cookies they're not they're not cookies um but if you call them cookies that might might make them more (laughs) energy snacks yeah energy snacks like water bottles throughout the house set up or um like a little book or a journal set up and mm. then a couple snacks or even if it's granola bars or things yeah, like that. Yeah, just to making kind of, something accessible because yeah, I feel like too, um, I mean, obviously like if you're not sleeping much, you don't really have time to like be doing a lot of cooking and stuff mm-hmm. or if someone like a loved one can make them for you, it's oh, just yeah. like easy grab and go, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to worry about, and they can sit out too, I would yeah, assume, they right? Can sit like, out so it's not I mean, worrying not forever, about, but, yeah. Um, uh, they're not McDonald's fries for months outside. But, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's so important for moms mm-hmm. to get, I mean, anything into them. I, st- I remember my sister saying like she just didn't Absolutely. have time to eat yeah. sometimes and it's like just put something into you. Like, and sometimes you're not hungry your or you're not, you don't feel hungry because um, your senses are just kind of on overdrive and you're yeah. overtired and all that other stuff um, kind of kicks in. So so having those different things set up and you can freeze them or, or different yeah. things like that. But yeah, or even there's all sorts of different energy balls or things that you can make. Um, or like you said, like if you have supports, whether they're family or friends or whoever, community members, even saying, you know, some someone will come over and say like, oh, what can I do to help? Instead of saying, oh, nothing, nothing, I'm fine. You can say, oh, here, like, do you mind just whipping together this recipe? It literally yeah. takes seven minutes to make or things like that. Um, to be able to have that available. Yeah, I think that's such a great thing when um, people bring, like when someone gives birth, they give, bring them like food or something, yeah. right? Like here's a lasagna. Absolutely. It's like, oh my gosh, that just saved us because you don't have time or energy yeah. to be doing a lot of cooking. Yeah. So, so yeah, true. that's always a good thing to ask loved ones for mm-hmm. when they stop by. Yeah, and that's the thing too, like actually feeling comfortable to ask people when someone offers help and because I know people might be listening and be like oh yeah it's easier said than done like if someone says oh can I help with something and saying you know no no it's fine or even though on the inside you're just like crying for help right so um, that's part of my doula work as well with my clients is all about healthy boundaries and those relationships with family or communities or supports is 
building up those skills to whether it's like I know I had one person who said they just had a list of things that they needed help with and then their family knew that they could just look on that list but there's that vulnerability aspect of well of asking for help or Mm -hmm. um, reaching out to others because you you don't want to ask for help a lot of the time and then that translates into your mental health and all that those other yeah exactly yeah speaking of asking for help and Mm -hmm. reaching out if someone wants to get in touch with you how can they reach you yeah so um you can reach me on instagram it's rebirth movement okay as well i'm working on a website which will be rebirthmovement.com but i haven't launched it yet i'm still excited like stay tuned yeah those (laughs) final little things um i would say instagram is the best place to reach me you can also email me doula.alita d-o-u-l-a dot a-l-e-t-a at gmail.com um, yeah, I would say that's, yeah. that's the best place. And I think you said you've been working with, uh, Gabby, who's a nutritionist yeah. lately. Yeah. So Gabby is interested. A lot of her nutrition work that she does, she's a holistic tr- nutritionist is on, um, like fertility. It's also on going off the birth control, like detox and things mm-hmm. like that, as well as postpartum nutrition. So her and I've been kind of working together to create some workshops in the area as well. We're kind of, comp- um, like collaborating that with the mental health stuff that I do okay. as well as holistic nutrition and then my childbirth education tra- um, classes that I'll be doing kind of tying in a nutritionist so people don't have to listen to me talk the whole time. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of switch it up, yeah. take a break. <laughs> well, yeah, and like I, I'm one of those people that is very, very much supports the collaborative, collaborative approach yeah. to, to anything as well, right? So I am not a nutritionist, even though I I know quite a bit about it, but it's not my area of expertise. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the biggest thing for me with my clients as well is I don't want to pretend like I know everything or try to wear every hat. So a lot of the work I do is connecting them with resources in the community or other supports in the community where I can say, you know what, I I can give you a little bit of information or I can just create space for you to think through your options on your own. But if you would like to talk to a holistic nutritionist or if you if you would think like uh, a chiropractor would be a good supporter, yeah. things like that, having those resources in the community to connect them with is so important because often people don't know where to start, right? Like mm-hmm. it can be overwhelming or you, you look in, I don't know, Instagram or the what are, what are they called? The yellow pages. If anyone uses that, <laughs> when you Google search something, yeah, yeah. and there's like six different people in your community yeah, or, you or who you go to yeah. or um, all of those different things. So having that network of resources for mm-hmm. my clients is really important to me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, I really learned thank you a so lot. Much for having me. It's <laughs> yeah, been it was fun. Awesome. So definitely check Alita out on Instagram at Rebirth Movement, and we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. Hey, can I ask a quick favor? If you have two minutes to spare, can you leave me a rating and review in your podcast app? It helps spread the word so I can help as many people as possible on their healing journey. Stay tuned for a new episode next Monday. And as always, if you have any episode topic suggestions, slide into my DMs at mindful underscore vitality on Instagram and let me know. See you Monday.